Hi, this is Derek from Atlanta. Unlike Bob, I am a former law enforcement officer, but I still enjoy listening to a practical show by a practical guy. You're listening to the Handgun World Podcast. Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. Well, this is episode 490 and I want to talk about qualification day, uh, some recent qualification drills that I recently shot and I'm going to talk about that and what gun I used and things like that. I want to remind you that this show is sponsored by Concealment Solutions, makers of terrific holsters. I like to carry the outside the waistband Cobra holster that uh, Concealment Solutions makes. I've got six of those for many different guns. That, that's pretty much my primary method of carry. Although, you know, when I talked to Spencer Keepers during the last episode, it kind of renewed my interest in appendix carry. And I would say that I do that occasionally. I'm still trying to figure out whether I want to just go exclusively appendix or outside the waist. I've found that outside the waistband carry, for me anyway, is just as fast as appendix inside the waistband carry. And with there's so many good outside the waistband holsters, especially like the Cobras that are made at Concealment Solutions. They conceal so well. They're they're easy to hide. They're quick. They're fast. You know, it just, it's its a great combination for me. Anyway, check them out at concealmentsolutions.com. That's concealmentsolutions.com, and you get a 10% discount if you just use one word handgun world coupon code. Handgun world coupon code for a 10% discount. So recently, when Ben taught, when Ben Branham taught uh, Beyond Concealed Carry, here in San Antonio. The second day, this uh, Sunday, was, was qualification day. And I showed up with my Glock 48 and my Glock 43X to shoot qualification drills. And I did this on purpose because I wanted to see what it was like to try to just work drills with guns that I actually carry on a regular basis. You know, it's one thing to show up with a with a full-size gun, maybe a red dot on it, maybe a, a, a trigger job, maybe a bunch of modifications. And it's one thing to show up with a gun that you rarely carry and shoot a bunch of drills. It's quite another challenge to show up with a small, thin, single-stack semi-automatic that might only have a 3.3-inch barrel and shoot those drills. I did shoot half the day with my Glock 43X, and then the other half with my Glock 48. Big difference. As a matter of fact, while other students were able to shoot several drills without having to reload their pistol, because my 48 and 43X only hold 10 rounds, plus one in the chamber, I was doing a lot more reloading than the 15 and 17 round handgunners there. So that was a, that was quite a challenge. More reloading, more filling up magazines, but that's all part of the challenge of it. And although, as I've mentioned before, reloading is not a, uh, it's not something that you're probably going to have to do in a civilian 
defensive gun use. Uh, I'm not going to say you'll never have to do it. That would be dishonest if I said that. But you very, very rarely are going to have to reload your gun in order to get more ammo to finish the fight. You might have to reload to clear a malfunction. So there again, that's why you should practice performing reloads. But I don't think, as Spencer Keepers and I talked about in the last episode, I don't think that you should practice performing reloads to the extent to where you're like, you know, doing one-second reloads. I mean, if you have to practice that much to be able to do one-second reloads, I'd say probably that time is going to be better spent learning how to speed up your draw, learning how to put the first two to three hits on the target where you where you need them to be. Uh, practice lining up your red dot if that's if you have a red dot gun. Skills like that, tactics, tactics that you might use before you actually have to draw your gun. Maybe invest some of that time practicing all that too. Um, and like Spencer said, if if your reloads are a reasonable amount of time, if they're reasonably fast, that's good. You know, you don't want to have a five-second reload, of course. Then that's then that's too slow. Then I would say if it takes you five seconds to reload your gun, then yeah, you definitely need to be practicing that and practicing that a lot so you can get that down to less than five seconds. Would you agree? You know, I, I think you'd probably agree that over-practicing and over-training on, on a certain skill or a certain two skills might not be the best use of your time and probably being more well-rounded and practicing everything so that you're reasonably good and reasonably fast with everything. And the most important thing I think that you need to be good at is your draw. You'd be surprised how slow your draw can be. You really need to time it. You need to put your draw on timer. And you need to do about probably, I would say, 30 to 40 draws and have somebody time you and then average those out and figure out what your average draw time is from concealment. So if you're concealing a handgun inside the waistband and you've got one or two cover garments over it, uh, that's the draw you need to be practicing. Not an outside the waistband draw from a competition speed holster to where you barely have to you know, do hardly any work to draw the gun out of that holster with no concealment garment. That if, Unless that's the way you carry. But if that's not the way you carry, then you really need to practice drawing from your concealed carry method. And it might surprise you. It might surprise you just how long it takes you to get that gun out of the holster. And think about it. Every second that it takes you to get the gun out of the holster, not just getting it out of the holster, but also getting it on target and placing the first two to three hits with reasonable accuracy. That whole length of time, from from start to about the third shot, you'd be surprised how long that might take you. And every second that goes by is an extra second that you're giving the bad guy to do his dirty work. Um, so think about that. I, I think you'd probably agree that that's pretty important, right? So that's the kind of stuff. We practiced a lot of that at qualification day. We did the FBI drill. We did the Sky Marshals drill. We did a couple of other accuracy drills, uh, shooting at large circles and small circles and small squares and triangles and numbered different colored targets, whether they're triangles or squares or circles with different numbers on them and putting, putting the right amount of 
shots, you know, one shot on a number one, four shots on a number four, three shots on a number three. Good stuff like that. Stuff that makes you think. Stuff that makes you think with a loaded gun in your hand. And you'd be surprised how hard it is sometimes to think with a loaded gun in your hand. You know, it's easy to think when you're dry firing. That's, it's easy to think. You know, or it might even be kind of tough. But think about that. If it's tough for you when you're, to think when you're dry firing, uh, put a loaded gun in your hand. Have somebody press the button on a timer and compete against yourself. And you'll be, you'll be real surprised how difficult that is. If that comes easy for you, great. But I would say if you're listening to this, it's probably going to take a pretty good amount of practice for that to become second nature, for that to become reflexive. Okay, for that to become unconsciously competent, as I've ta- talked about before in the, uh, in the learning process, so that you're unconsciously competent to where you do it pretty much without thinking or a very minimal amount of thinking because you're, you're probably not going to have the chance to do a lot of thinking. When Bubba the Giant is trying to kill you and, and you're, you know, slow as a snail, uh, I think Bubba, Bubba the Giant might win, okay? And you've you got to really think about what it is that you're doing, what it is that you're carrying, how you're carrying it. And once you find a method that you're good at, that you can do easily, that you can get to a pretty fast time, then stick with that method of carry. Stick with that method of carry. And for me, I'm, I'm pretty decent with uh, outside the waistband, something like a Glock 48 or 43X or a Shield 2.0, which is what I have on today, and an outside the waistband Concealment Solutions Cobra holster with just, just a shirt over it. Um, right now, I'm just wearing uh, a long sleeve, kind of a long sleeve t-shirt that's relatively loose fitting, and it uh, completely hides the gun. No problem. I mean, the, the shield's a thin little gun anyway, so carrying it outside the waistband. You know, folks, don't be too concerned about whether your gun prints. I, I think that people are too concerned about that. Think about it. I mean, um, just kind of pay attention when you're walking around outside next time out in the public and, and look at people and, and, and look at how baggy their clothes are. And, and, you know, a lot of times they have a cell phone, a big, giant, huge iPhone 11, right? Or, or some kind of a large Android phone. And sometimes they have their phones, they carry them in a holster. And so they got, it, got them on their belt. And sometimes you can see people carrying a cell phone underneath their shirt. You ever notice that? Or even if it's in their pocket, you can, you can see that big cell phone uh, in their pocket. I'm talking about men. I mean, you know, women typically carry them in their purse. But, you know, look at, look at guys when they're carrying stuff on their belt. Or I've seen people with flashlights, um, you know, and they're carrying them. And, uh, you know, they'll carry open carry flashlights or, or sometimes... Actually, I saw one guy that was carrying a flashlight and I could tell it was a flashlight because part of the flashlight holder was part of the holster was was sticking below his shirt and I've seen people carry knife uh, carry knives and I could see the sheath I could see you know part of the sheath below their the below the 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 shirt tail of their belt even though it was untucked and so people carry all kinds of stuff um and uh, so think about it uh, you know people are really not going to notice if there's a if there's a quarter inch of your gun printing 
you know, they're not going to notice that quarter of an inch or half of an inch of something sticking out in inside your shirt. And, and even if they do notice it, they probably can't tell it's a gun. I mean, you, you would really have to have, think about this, wouldn't you really have to have your shirt pretty tight over that gun for it to, for the print, for the uh, outline of a gun to actually uh, be showing that it's a gun? And if your shirt's that tight, then consider wearing a little bit looser shirt. You know, I mean, you probably shouldn't be you probably shouldn't be carrying a gun if you're going to wear wear that tight of a shirt anyway, to where they can actually see the outline of your pistol. Um, and of course, little small revolvers really make uh, a big difference in a, in an application like this too. Uh, I'll, I'll say this about small revolvers, J-frame revolvers, when you're carrying them on on a belt holster. Uh, they conceal very well. They, they they really do conceal very well. A lot of people think of little J-frames as pocket carry guns, but also I've carried them in uh, both inside the waist and outside the waist manner. And, you know, they're, they're very concealable. They're very concealable due to the shape and the fact that they're thin. And even though the the cylinder is a lot wider than the than the little revolver. It still it hides it hides very nicely, and um, so those of you that uh, like to carry J frames, nobody's nobody's gonna see you carrying that gun. So just carry it and don't worry too much about it. And about practice, 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 practice. Because with the smaller the gun gets, the harder it is to shoot. So qualification day. Uh, with Ben Branham was good. We've canceled the November class because of time constraints for both of us. But I'm sure we'll be doing some other classes uh, in 2020. Wow, it's interesting. It's Wow, I'm saying 2020 already. How about that? Um, it's November 2nd, 2019 right now. Sorry, I'm a day late, this podcast. Normally, I, I put these try to put these out on the 1st and 15th. And uh, this, this one's relatively short because... I want to kind of just keep it down to one subject today, and that is talking about qualifying. And uh, the other thing that I would uh, challenge you to do is find some steel targets. Find a range where you can shoot steel, because the great thing about shooting steel is that you get that instant feedback. You know, you you get that loud noise when you make a hit, and it's 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 a satisfying thing. And start off with a with a decent size steel, like 12 inch size steel, and then then find a smaller piece to 8 inch and then 6 inch and 4 inch and keep shrinking the size of your steel targets because the the better you can get a hit in small targets the just the better off you're going to be you know uh, aim small miss small pretty much and that 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 works aim small and miss small uh, so the the better you can get a, and play with your distances you know uh, you can't get too close to steel but if you're shooting at paper you know, start off at three yards. Do not shoot steel at three yards. Do not shoot steel at five yards. Shoot steel at a minimum of seven yards and preferably ten yards. It's not quite very safe to be. Well, I would recommend it. Matter of fact, I'm going to say don't shoot steel at any closer than seven yards. It's not safe. But steel becomes real fun at that seven to ten, ten yard distance. And it's a uh, and even at uh, 15, 20, 40, 50 yards. You know, put put a target out there at 25 yards. Put some 12-inch steel out there at 25 yards, and shoot that. And and get get good at hitting it regularly. Let's say it, it, be able to hit it eight out of ten times. 
12-inch deal at 25 yards, 8 out of 10 times. I'd say that's a pretty good goal to strive for. If you can do that, think about how if you can hit 12-inch deal 8 out of 10 times at 25 yards, think about how good you're going to be at a 5-inch, 4-inch steel target at, say, 7 yards. And so then think about how good you're going to be in a real-life situation where you've got to put all of your hits inside of 5 inches or inside of 4 inches at 7 yards. Well, if that day comes, and I hope it never does, I hope that it never does, again, I don't go looking for trouble, but sometimes trouble finds me, and that's why I also carry a gun. Because sometimes trouble's going to find me. So if trouble finds me, and I've been practicing shooting steel, uh, let's say 12 inches or even 10 inches, at 25 yards, if I've been practicing that, and I'm getting good at it, 7 out of 10, 8 out of, eight out of 10. When trouble finds me and i got to put all those rounds inside of 4 inches, well, then probably uh, I have a pretty good chance of doing it, and I'm probably going to have a pretty good chance at least putting 2 to 3 real good hits because I've practiced it so much at a long distance. Or if you can't practice at a 25-yard distance, then shrink the targets that you're shooting at, shrink them down to 3 inches. And uh, be, be regular at being able to put all those rounds into three inches. So these are kinds of the things that we practiced and we worked on for an entire day at qualification day. And I switched between my Glock 48 and my Glock 43X. Honestly, I didn't really notice too much of a difference between the G48 and the G43X. Not, not a lot. That extra sight radius is nice on the 48 it's nice to have a 4-inch gun, but, you know, 3.3 is not that much different. Uh, it's, it's really not. It, if your techniques are good and your, your techniques are sound, then it's going to be pretty tough. You know, we used to have a saying when I, when I went to sales training back in the day, back in the 80s, when I first learned how to sell, my mentor taught me, he said, you know, Bob, if your techniques are sound, they can't fight you. And what he meant was, if your sales techniques are sound the buyer can't fight against you too well because if you know what you're doing and you're honest, not manipulative, not manipulative. I hate it when people think that salespeople are dishonest and manipulative because bad salespeople are dishonest and manipulative. Good salespeople are honest and persuasive, and there's a big difference. So what he meant is if your techniques are sound, Bob, your sales techniques, it's going to be difficult for your buyer to fight you and, and say no. Well, it's the same thing, I think, with, with shooting, isn't it? If your techniques are sound, they can't fight you. In shooting, if your techniques are sound, they can't fight you very well, can they? Because you know what you're doing. And it, it is a fight. If you're in a fight for your life and you're fighting for your life with your handgun and your techniques are sound, it's going to be difficult for the bad guy to fight you. So focus on technique. Focus on mindset. Focus on technique. And there's not a lot of difference between a 4-inch barrel and a 3-inch, 3.3-inch barreled gun. There's there's just really not. I, I didn't notice it. I, I can make hits and I can... As a matter of fact, one of the nice things about the Glock 43X, it's a little tiny bit faster out of the holster than the Glock 48 for me anyway I can get it out just a little faster keep in mind the frame and the grip are the same on those two guns exactly the same frame and grip and magazine 
no difference. The only difference between those two guns is the length of the slide and the length of the barrel. And because that barrel on the 43X is a little shorter, it comes for me out of the hol- comes out of the holster. I can draw it out just a tad faster, just a tad faster out of the holster. So that's one of the advantages of carrying the shorter barreled gun. And it doesn't matter if I'm drawing from outside the waistband or if I'm drawing from appendix inside the waistband because I I trained both methods on qualification day last weekend. I trained both methods, the inside the waistband appendix and outside the waistband strong side. And the Glock 43 just came out of the holster faster. It just did for me. I was able to get it out faster. But then again, once I pointed the gun downrange toward the target, it was nice to have the Glock 48 with the extra sight radius and a little bit softer recoil. So there's always trade-offs. And if if you're like me and you carry more than one type of gun, just practice with all of them. That's the lesson of the day. That's what I took away from in the uh, qualification day training with Ben Branham. What I took away from that was... Train with everything, everything that you intend to carry. Uh, That's a must. That's a must. Now, if you're only carrying one gun and one gun only all the time, then, of course, obviously it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Train with it, but you you have probably a shorter learning curve, and that's one good thing. That's one good thing about sticking to one or two guns that you put on your waistband every day is you got a shorter learning curve because you only have to learn that gun in that holster with whatever ammo you select speaking of ammo i just recently bought a thousand rounds i used i used ben branham's affiliate link uh, i went to modern com slash ammo and i bought from lucky gunner they had a good price i bought a whole case of cci blazer brass and ammo is so cheap right now, folks. Stock up. It's so cheap. When I get my next uh, commission check uh, coming up in a few weeks, I'll probably order another case. So I got plenty of stock. It always makes me nervous. I have this uh, feeling that ammo is going to go up again someday soon. And uh, so I want to stock up. It's really nice to be stocked up if the prices go up. It's also nice to be stocked up even if the prices don't go up because then you just don't have to worry about it. you got plenty of ammo when you want to go out and shoot and practice. You don't have to be fishing around and shopping around at the last minute for ammo when you want to go out and shoot. You got it. And ammo stores forever. It keeps forever. So, again, your learning curve is shortened if you've got one or two guns that you put on all the time in the same holster and pretty much in the same spot all the time. Your learning curve goes down. You don't have to worry about... Okay, what am I wearing and where am I wearing it? And what kind of a holster and so forth? What is it? Which one do I have these days? You get rid of all of that and you just focus on how to get the grip, how to get the draw, how to get it out, get it, get two to three, four shots on target right away. If you're transitioning to another target, get over to that target and you it just it makes your gun manipulations, your reloads, your clearing malfunctions and everything so much easier. Speaking of malfunctions, I had zero malfunctions all day long with my Glock 48 and 43X. Probably put 150 rounds, maybe 170 rounds through each one of them. In fact, I know I, well, I, yeah, I pretty much did. I, I took to the range 350 rounds and shot them all last Sunday. So I shot 
I actually shot slightly over 350 rounds. I, sh I shot 350 that I took with me and um, 15 in the gun, uh, 16 in the gun. So 366 rounds between those two guns. Uh, not a single malfunction. I also shot, I shot uh, four magazines through my Glock 19, uh, but just because I wanted to, I, it's hard for me to go to go to a range and not shoot a Glock 19. So I did, and I, I actually had a malfunction. I had a uh, failure to uh, extract, so I had a double feed. First time in a long time, third generation Glock 19. Probably the first time in 5,000, 6,000 rounds, pretty much, that I had a malfunction with that particular gun. But it just goes to show that if you shoot enough, you train enough, you work hard enough, you're going to have a malfunction in your gun. I don't care what kind of a gun it is. I don't care what kind of a gun it is, even revolvers malfunction. And if you don't believe that, talk to somebody that shoots a revolver a lot. Not just somebody who occasionally shoots a revolver. I'm talking about somebody who shoots a revolver a lot. Talk to them. You'll probably find out that they've had a, mal a malfunction or two or three. So my G19 malfunctioned it. Or malfunctioned. I learned how to clear it. Uh, over the years, I've learned many, many techniques on how to clear malfunctions. And uh, it kind of took me by surprise at first. Because it's been so long since that thing malfunctioned that it took me about a about a half a second to realize, oh wow, I've had a malfunction. You know, at first I thought I had a slide lock. I thought I, I shot it dry, and I thought, what happened? You know, did I miscount? Did I not put enough rounds in the magazine? I've only shot five times, and I got slide lock. And then it took me about a half a second to realize, nope, it's not slide lock. It was a malfunction. So, that, once that half a second went by and I realized it was a malfunction, uh, quickly dealt with it, cleared it, and uh, got back in the fight. Had to, had to rip the magazine out, get a fresh magazine in there, run the slide, and, uh, you know, that's, that's the way I like to do it. like to get a fresh magazine in there. Uh, I had already shot four rounds, so the target, was, the target was shot. It was neutralized, so if it would have been a real fight, most likely... The, the bad guy would have been neutralized after my four rounds because they were all hits and they were and, and three of them were decent hits the fourth one was a little bit a little bit off and then the malfunction occurred or might have been the malfunction might have been after the fifth round can't be, can't remember if it was after the fourth or after the fifth but there was plenty of hits on target so most likely the bad guy was either stopped or neutralized and wasn't going to do much to me at that point and so I had the opportunity and the time to clear the malfunction. Again, this is why it's so impo so important to make your hits too, because if you've if you've made hits before your malfunction, then you know you, you got a, a much better chance of surviving the whole situation when you have to clear the malfunction. So I decided to rip the magazine out, put a fresh magazine in there. Hence the reason for carrying a, a fresh magazine, the most important reason, I think, for carrying an extra magazine or two is malfunctions. And uh, I put it in there, ran the slide, and um, kept on shooting, kept on fighting. Again, this is the reason why you need to show up for training classes, qualification days, or competition matches. It's why you need to go out and, as they say, run your gun, practice, train, 
get into these situations where your where your Glock or your M&P or your H&K or your SIG or whatever it is that hasn't malfunctioned in five or six thousand rounds. Oops! All of a sudden, guess what? It chokes on you. And what are you gonna do? But it was really good that my Glock 48, Glock 43X, no malfunctions, and uh, it worked out pretty good. Okay, so, you know, real pleased I didn't have very many, many malfunctions out of the small guns. Okay, next, I think I would like to talk about some goals I've got coming up for 2020. Well, first of all, I want to finish 2019 practicing shooting and competing with concealed carry guns. So I'll go out with my shield next time, um, probably my shield 2.0, and shoot that, and probably go to a competition match and shoot that. That's going to be an interesting ta- challenge because I can only start with nine rounds in the gun, and then every time I reload, I'm only going to be reloading another eight rounds because all I have are the uh, factory magazines. So um, I don't have modified magazines that will hold more than eight. That's going to be an interesting challenge, but it's going to be fun. I need to do it because, as I am today, I carry the Shield 2.0 quite a bit. And uh, it's a fine, dandy little gun, and I need to get out there and practice it more. So I think for the rest of 2020, I'm going to be shooting my small little concealed carry guns. And I'm going to shoot them I'm going to shoot them as if I'm in a competition or a training class w- with a bigger gun. So I'm going to go to like IDPA, for example, and I'm going to shoot the CCP classification, Concealed Carry Pistol Division, uh, with probably a shield on the next outing and maybe like a Glock 48 on the next outing after that. And what's really going to be interesting is if I go to AASA, uh, American Action Shooting Association here in in San Antonio, Ted Bonnet's um, Ted Bonnet's club. If you don't know Ted Bonnet, he's a uh, former IPSC world champion and and uh, he's 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 pretty darn good, nice guy, super individual. Maybe the next time I go to AASA, I'm going to try to get Ted on the show again. He, uh, a few years back, he was on the show. I'm going to try it again, see if I can get him to interview again. That's going to be interesting though, because I'm going to be in there competing with people that have that are starting with 17, 18, sometimes 20 or 21 rounds in their pistol. And every time they reload, they're stuffing another 20-round magazine or 19-round magazine into their pistol. I'll be competing with those guys with a little Smith & Wesson shield. But that's the fun of it. See, I like torture. I like punishment. <laughs> so that's the fun of it. That's the challenge. What, what can I do with a Smith & Wesson shield up against those characters that have red dot guns and they're starting with 20 rounds and some of them aren't reloading at all because they might have 23 round magazines and the stages are only 18 rounds so some of them are not going to have to reload at all and I'm going to have to reload three uh, twice I'm going to reload twice if I have a shield and I start with nine rounds and then I put another magazine in that's eight rounds that's 17 I'm gonna have to reload one more time to finish an 18 round stage and that's if I don't miss. So, well, I probably won't have to reload again because 17 rounds plus another 8 is 25. I don't think it's going to take me 25 rounds to finish an 18-round stage, or at least it shouldn't. <laughs> if, it, if it takes me more than 25 rounds to finish an 18-round stage, then, uh, oh, well, then I probably have other problems. <laughs> 
I don't think it will, but this is still going to be... Think about that challenge. I'm going to have to perform two reloads, and some of those guys won't have to perform any. But that's the challenge. I want to see how can I do against those guys that don't have to perform any reloads. Because, you know, that's going to be where... That's going to be where the rub is. That's going to be where the hard part is going to be. Especially, even if I got my reloads down to a couple seconds, that's still going to add a uh, minimum four seconds to my time. And that's if, I, uh, that's if I shoot as well as those guys with the bigger guns. And a uh, quick pause here, just about a one-second pause. My, my wife came in my room just now and brought me some food. How's that? Isn't that a great wife that comes in and brings you food while you're recording a podcast? <laughs> Gotta love it. Gotta, oh, man, that's awesome. It just, eh, it's fun. It's fun. I, I, I love doing podcasts when, when my wife walks into the room, smiles, and brings me food. <laughs> Good stuff, man. I, I'm a blessed man. <laughs> that's all I can say. So, as I mentioned earlier, it's a short episode, and... I just want to throw some some thoughts out there as to what to do when you're practicing and you're and you're training. And uh, if you go to a class where you got or a, a competition match where you got some qualification to do some qualifying drills or you've got some classifying to do, it's important. It's important. Do those because it really measures your ability. It really shows you what you can do or what you can't do. That's the more it's the more revealing and probably the more humbling part of it all is it it makes you realize what you can't do and you, and you do get some some real um, enlightening moments in a qualification day or a tr- or a, or a classification day I'll put it that way you get some humbling and enlightening moments but that's the best part don't be afraid of it don't let your ego get bruised don't be afraid of doing it because your ego might get bruised that's the that's the best part is that your ego might get knocked down a little bit and um, to me to me that's fun see I, I don't mind I don't mind I'm not out to try to be the next world champion shooter uh, I'm a 58 year old cancer survivor and I got mobility problems and sometimes I have a little thinking problems from the from the brain surgery I had five years ago I have a few minor side effects that are probably never going to go away for the rest of my life but thank God I'm here by the grace of God I am here and I'm out there and I'm never going to stop getting out there and even though I might be slower than I used to be and even though I might have some vision challenges and even though I might have a few thinking challenges from well, I can just tell. I can just tell. I, I, I can't think and concentrate the way I used to think and concentrate before all of my chemo for my cancer and my uh, six-hour brain surgery that I had to remove a tu- uh, remove a, tu- a tumor. See, even sometimes I get a little bit of speech challenges that I did not used to have. But I'm never going to stop getting out there. I'm never going to start working, stop working, and competing. And, uh, and going at it because it's something I love to do. And it's something that is just seems to be in my blood now. I've been doing it since 2005. And, and by God's grace, I, I have the ability to keep on doing it. And, and that's the best part. 
and there's nothing more fun than doing that and the and the camaraderie that you build up when you go and you're around fellow shooters and fellow fellow freedom lovers and people who love the second amendment they're good genuine down to earth people good people some of them will give you the shirt off their off their back to help you those are the kinds of people I love to be around and I'm I'm doing it at least twice a month sometimes three times a month now and it's just a real joy. And, and I also get a real joy out of sharing it with you every couple of weeks by doing this podcast. So thank you for listening. I appreciate always. I'm closing in on episode 500. And there's something special I want to do for the 500th episode. I'll probably announce that on the next episode that comes out December 1st. Or, or close to the 1st. 1st or 2nd of December. I'm going to announce something special for episode 500. So December 1 will be episode 491. So about... About nine episodes in advance, I'll, ep- I'll announce what I want to do for the, the 500th uh, episode, and I'd encourage you to participate in that. I'll make it real easy for you to participate in things that you can do and help out, and it's going to be all about you. Every 100 episodes I do this, I make the show all about you, the listener. You, the listener. Not me, not what I'm doing, what I'm shooting, what's going on with me. I make it about you, the listener, because that's who it should be about. It should be about the people who tune in every time, the people who support the Shooters Club and people like that. And by the way, for all you Shooters Club members that, that pay every year or every, uh, yeah, every year or every month to support me and Ben Branham. As I mentioned, Spencer Keepers did an, uh, an exclusive interview on pure shooting. How to achieve the level of pure shooting and increase your uh, your your hit percentage and be able to be a better shooter and he did it in audio format which came out very nicely and it's on the Shooters Club so just go to the audio podcast there and if you're not a member it's only 75 bucks a year for over 80 episodes uh, most of them videos or $8 a month and you can sign up at ShootersClubMembers.com ShootersClubMembers.com you can also support what I do here if it helps you and you don't want to spend any extra money, maybe budget tight, the next time you make an Amazon purchase, go through the Handgun World Amazon store. Just go to handgunworld.com and click the Amazon store at handgunworld.com. Do those two steps before you make your Amazon purchases, and Amazon will help you support me. How about that? Even if Amazon's anti-gun, they can't do anything about it because... You're going to go through my link first, and you're going to be buying from them, so that's that. All right? Just help me out. Make your Amazon purchases on my uh, affiliate link. And a, uh, a link is in the, it's on the website, handgunworld.com. You can't miss it. It says Amazon Store, so you can't miss it. And also a link to sign up for the Shooters Club. I put that in the show notes of every episode, a Concealment Solutions link will be in the show notes for this episode and a little bit about the subject matter will also be in the show notes. If you have not left me an iTunes review, I'd love one of those too if you use iTunes. So I want to leave you with this. Evil does not exist in the holster. It exists in the hearts of men and women. And again, Tobedo O'Rourke, evil does not exist in the holster. I'm glad he's dropped out of the race now, but he did us a favor. Beto did us a favor, I think, by by permanently exposing without question what the anti-guns agenda is. Uh, 
And that is to take away our guns. It's not universal background checks. It's not red flag laws. Yes, they want those. They want universal background checks. They want red flag laws. They want magazine restrictions. They want restrictions on certain accessories you can put on your guns. But what they really want, they really want, is to take your AR-15s and AK-47s, as Beto said. And do you really think that they would stop with taking your AR-15s and AK-47s? Do you really think they would stop at that? No. No. They want your Glocks. They want your M&Ps. They want your SIG 320s. They want your H&Ks. They want your Rugers. They want your XDs. They even want your CZs and your Berettas because, well, they're semi-automatic guns that hold more than six or seven rounds, and they want those. Matter of fact, you know what? They want them all. They want them all, even your five-shot revolvers, because it's a gun, and they don't want you to have them. And, and Beto O'Rourke did what nobody else wanted to do and, and on a national, public, nationally televised debate stage he just said it he put it out there and maybe that is the biggest reason why he had to make an early exit from the campaign I don't think it's the only reason but it might be probably the single biggest reason why he had to make an early exit because it was it was a very unpopular thing for him to say and to want to do but he did it so was Beto the sacrificial lamb I don't know Did he make himself the sacrificial lamb? I don't know, but it seems like that's the way it turned out to be. But he probably did us a huge favor. Um, And he may have actually done his fellow Democrats a big favor, too, because he showed them what not to say. But we all now know. We all now know what they want. Nobody else has to say it. Beto O'Rourke said it. He said it. Robert Francis O'Rourke That's his real name, in case you don't know. Robert Francis O'Rourke. He said it. He said it for them, and he told us all what they want, what they really want, and he put it into words, and he put it out into the public on national television. So there you go. So, Beto, the evil's not in the holster it is in the hearts of men and women. And how are you going to come and take that, Beto? How are you going to come and take the evil that's in the hearts? How are you going to take that? You can't. You can't take it. It's there. It's always there. It's always going to be there, Mr. O'Rourke. That evil will always be there in people's hearts. You cannot erase it. It cannot be erased. Well, it can. It can. As you guys know, I'm a Christian believer. So I believe if people turn their hearts toward Christ... Um, the Bible says that 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 will that be will be the the only resistance towards evil that exists. But if they're not if they don't do that or they're not a believer, the evil ain't going away. And so the only thing that we innocent people can do, and whether you're a Christian believer or not, it's okay. I value you as a listener either way. It doesn't matter. This show is not about religion. It's really not even about politics either. But if people don't erase the evil from their heart, then the only thing that we innocent people can do is to do what we can do while we're here on this earth, and that is stand up, defend ourselves, arm ourselves, 
against it, be ready to fight back and defend your life and have a gun, defend your life with it and know how to use that gun. And if the evil finds its way to you, you better be ready. That's it. End of episode. I'm Bob Main. You've just listened to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. Thanks again for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye.